Hi, this is Jason Smith, and I wanted to take a moment before we start to let you know that following this week's episode being released on December 17th, and for the next several weeks, Digital Jung will be on a hiatus of sorts. Now, I say hiatus of sorts because even though I will be taking a break from the usual format of these episodes, I'm going to continue to post some new and different kinds of episodes. Some of these will be mini-episodes focused on a particular topic, while others will focus more in-depth on symbolic material, stories, fairy tales, poems, together with some brief commentary. And in the meantime, I'm going to be working to put together new material in order to return with more regular episodes in the new year towards the end of February. I look forward to continuing to be able to bring Digital Jung to you in 2021. And as always, thanks for listening and take good care. Welcome to Digital Jung, a podcast about living a symbolic life Logical age. Man cannot stand a meaningless life. I'm Jason Smith, Jungian analyst and author of Religious But Not Religious Living a Symbolic Life. And in this episode, we look at two different kinds of thinking and explore how each influences our experience, not only of ourselves, but of the world around us. It's the human soul. That's the buried treasure. understand what we think. We only understand that kind of thinking, which is a mere equation, from which nothing comes out but what we have put in. That is the working of the intellect. But besides that, there is a thinking in primordial images, in symbols which are older than the historical man, which are inborn in him from earliest times and eternally living, outlasting all generations, still make up the groundwork of the human psyche. It is only possible to live the fullest life when we are in harmony with these symbols. Wisdom is a return to them. How do we come to know what we know? 
And just what do we mean when we say we know something? There's a section in my book, Religious But Not Religious, where I describe two different kinds of thinking. Directed thinking and what I call symbolic thinking. And in that section, I write this. Directed thinking is the working of the intellect in which one takes a quantity of information and operates on it. In directed thinking, the image, concept, or idea thought about is one that has been consciously chosen. Symbolic thinking, on the other hand, is the working of the imagination. Imagination, in the sense that I'm using it here, should be understood as an organ of perception in which the symbols and images autonomously produced by the psyche are encountered. From this perspective, the activity of the imagination might be conceived of as the psyche thinking or dreaming itself in us and through us. Now, as you can probably tell, the ideas that I write about in this excerpt owe their origin to that quote from Jung that I used at the top of this episode. And this understanding of the two kinds of thinking is a fundamental aspect of Jung's psychology and, in fact, of psychoanalysis as a whole. Put simply, they can be described as the thinking that we ourselves consciously perform, that is, directed thinking, and that thinking which happens spontaneously and often unconsciously in the psyche, which we do not direct, but rather, at times, chance to observe. And these two kinds of thinking lead us, in turn, to two different kinds of knowing. In directed thinking, it's the individual who's the actor, operating on a piece of data and obtaining a result. And through this mode of thinking, one gains a unit of knowledge. And knowledge here means the thing known, a possession of the mind. In symbolic thinking, however, the individual is the observer or receiver, and the primordial images that Jung talks about, the symbols that make up the groundwork of the psyche, are the actors. Now, for Jung, as I spoke about in episode five, the living symbol. Symbols express something incommunicable, something that can't be reduced to a mere concept. They are the best possible expression for an experience which cannot be expressed in any other way. Let me say that again. Symbols are the best possible expression for something that cannot be expressed 
in any other way. They are, Jung says in another instance, the unthinkable matrices of all our thought. And what this means, of course, is that what we are able to think consciously has roots in the unconscious, in the unthinkable. Or to put it another way, symbolic thinking is the original and native language of the psyche. The symbols that we meet in our dreams, in the everyday fantasy production of the psyche and in the great works of myth and religion, all point to experiences that ultimately remain mysterious, ineffable, and unknowable. And they allow us, so to speak, to know what cannot be known. And so in the case of symbolic thinking, knowledge is not something we possess, but rather it takes the form of a relationship into which we enter. That is, we know something the way we might know another person. And, and this is why Jung talks about being in harmony with symbols and not about understanding them. It's not an intellectual exercise. Through symbolic thinking, the other with which we come into relationship and to which the symbol gives expression always maintains its own center of initiative, its own center of autonomy and its own independence. And our knowing is always incomplete, always partial, always growing and developing. Both kinds of thinking and both kinds of knowing are important. But for the most part, we tend to see only directed thinking as legitimate. And this is because it, it lends itself more readily to the practical tasks of life. Problem solving, planning and executing goals, creating systems and measuring outcomes. Symbolic thinking, on the other hand, is often dismissed as unreal or made up because what comes from it is less obviously tangible and has limited or even no utilitarian value. Symbols, Jung reminds us, have little to do with such worldly concerns as buying and selling. But the meaning of life, he says, is not exhaustively explained by one's business life, nor is the deep desire of the human heart answered by a bank account. Symbolic thinking then, and by extension, of course, the living of the symbolic life, is about meaning. And meaning is not about what we do, but more so about who we are and what we become.
And this is a reversal of our usual perspective, and indeed of the values of much of contemporary life. In directed thinking, it's the individual, the ego, or the I that wants to know. In symbolic thinking, it's the symbol that wants to be known. Through directed thinking, we shape and transform our world, while through symbolic thinking, we ourselves become the ones that are shaped and transformed. And so the work here is not one of calculating or strategizing, but of perceiving, learning to see. I noted earlier that the organ of perception in this case is the imagination, and that this is the faculty by which we come to know the spontaneous and autonomous self-expression of the psyche. And here I want to turn to a passage from a letter written by the English visionary painter and poet William Blake, who teaches us that imagination is not about the creation of clever but unreal novelties, but a vital faculty that gives us access to the unsuspected depths of reality itself. So here's what he says. I know that this is a world of imagination and vision. I see everything I paint in this world, but everybody does not see alike. To the eye of a miser, a guinea is far more beautiful than the sun, and a bag worn with the use of money has more beautiful proportions than a vine filled with grapes. The tree which moves some to tears of joy is, in the eyes of others, only a green thing which stands in the way. Some see nature all ridicule and deformity, but by these I shall not regulate my proportions. And some scarce see nature at all. But to the eyes of the man of imagination, nature is imagination itself. As a man is, so he sees. As the eye is formed, such are its powers. You certainly mistake when you say that the visions of fancy are not to be found in this world. To me, this world is all one continued vision of fancy and imagination, and I feel flattered when I am told so. As we are, so shall we see. And as we see, so shall we know.
But for Blake, this doesn't mean that we impose our categories on external life, that we merely project our subjective experience onto the blank screen of the world. Through the eyes of the person of imagination, nature is imagination itself, he says. Imagination, then, in a sense, is it's like a lens through which the play of imaginative or symbolic forms can be discerned in the experience of life, much like a microscope allows us to see what can't be seen with the naked eye. But that's not quite right. At least, it, it's not the whole picture. A better way to think about imagination might be to understand it as that thing in us that responds to experience, a kind of echo within us that sounds out of our encounter with some aspect of living. But that's not quite it either. It's not just the individual observing nature or the world in a new way. And it's not just the world making a new impact on the consciousness of the individual. Imagination is an experience of the self in the world and the world in oneself all at once. Through the power of the imagination, the separation and alienation that we often feel between ourselves and the rest of life is overcome. And here I, I should confess that the phrase symbolic thinking may not be the best one I could have chosen because it seems to imply that it's something that we do through some exercise of the will, that we try to think deliberately using symbols. But that's not really how it goes. If anything, symbolic thinking means suspending everything that we think we know. It means seeing beyond and behind our concepts and categories, allowing whatever is before us to be not just an idea in our mind, but its own unique living reality, and then waiting for the natural symbol-making function of the psyche to call forth an image in response. In a sense, in symbolic thinking, we place our own being, our imaginative faculties, in the service of some aspect of the world and allow it to speak in us and through us. So, what, you may be wondering, is the point? of all of this. What's gained by going through what might very well seem like a whole lot of trouble? Well, a specific answer to that question really depends on you.
There is no one answer. What is brought forth in each person's life will depend upon their own unique gifts and dispositions. As one is, so one sees, says Blake. And everything depends on whether we take our particular creative vision seriously. However, there is something general that can be said, and it takes us back to the opening quote from Jung with which we started. It is only possible to live the fullest life, he says, when we are in harmony with these symbols. Wisdom is a return to them. For Jung, the point is wisdom and fullness of life, which are really two ways of saying the same thing. Wisdom, I've said before, is not knowledge. It's not the product of directed thinking. But rather, it's a way of being attuned to life. And in those times when we're able to attain this kind of attunement, life is re-energized and renewed. Life is made full. To think of me is sweeter than honey, says the personified image of wisdom about herself. To possess me, sweeter than the honeycomb. Whoever feeds on me will hunger for more. Whoever drinks from me will thirst for more. In other words, once we get a taste of wisdom, we'll keep coming back for more. And I can't imagine a better takeaway than that. Until next time. You'll find information in the show notes for all the sources used in this week's episode, as well as links to connect with me on social media. Let's make this a conversation. If you have questions about anything you heard in the episode or that you'd like me to address in a future episode, send them to me on Facebook or Twitter using the hashtag DigitalYoke. Finally, if you want a deeper dive into the kind of material explored in this podcast, please check out my book, Religious But Not Religious, Living a Symbolic Life, available now from Chiron Publications. Thanks for listening.